So, hey guys, we're back with another one, and we've got a phenomenal guest for you that I had been waiting for this one for all week. Her name is Lisa Collins. Uh, if you don't know who that is, you will by, um, by the end of the podcast or when we start talking, and you're going to love her story. Of course, I want to thank my friends over at the uh, Tombstone Epitaph, uh, one of Arizona's longest-running newspapers. You can find them at tombstoneepitaph.com and subscribe and get the paper delivered right to your door and you get all sorts of western history i also want to thank my friends at the wild west history association at wildwesthistory.org i urge you to go on that uh, website and join you get the journal delivered right to your door four times a year for about 75 bucks and uh, it's just a great value and uh, you can start planning for next year 2024 when roundup is in fort smith arkansas i would love to see you there and so just great stuff and remember wild west history association at wildwesthistory.org now we're we're making the roll real quick because this guest i've been wanting to speak to for a while her name is lisa collins and if you don't know who she is she played louisa earp in the movie tombstone and she's going to talk about all about the movie tombstone and uh, some backstory stuff that she's got tucked away. Um, that how because I'm interested in about the audition, how she got into the role. She's going to talk about that. So welcome, Lisa. How are you? Thank you so much, Mark. It is a delight to be here, and I am very well. Thank you. It's Mike. It's okay. I go by Mark too, but it's uh, sorry. Mike. That's okay. Sorry. Uh, listen. Oh no, no. Listen. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, just don't forget me at dinner. You can forget a lot of stuff, but don't forget me at dinner. Um, you got it. So you, before we get into Tombstone, you have a remarkable background in business. And when I was looking into your background, you have, uh, you've been a vice president of a company. You've, uh, you were in, Mar- I think you're a vice president of a company now for a company called Acodis. Uh, oh, no, no, excuse me, Acodis. Um, Correct. Yeah, I got, and uh, they're worldwide, and you're vice president of marketing communication. You've been vice president and marketing for a company called Modus Corporation. Uh, You were a partner at Amazon Web Services. Um, You were doing lecturing or lecture at Raffles College. Uh, Looks like you have a marketing and public relations job um, at, I can't even say this right, Sapien? It, the razor publicist, fish. No, yeah, publicist no. sapient. What is it? it it's publicist sapient razor fish. It's a very long title. A couple of companies came together in a merger, so they put all the names together. Uh, they're a digital marketing oh, and gotcha. uh, digital experience company. Yeah. And I, when I was reading that the first time, I'm like, razor fish? What type of company is that? Um, but I, listen, when I looked them up, they're okay. They're they're solid. And then you've had all sorts of marketing jobs. So when you got in out of acting. Did you go to school and did get a degree, or did you have a degree already? Because it looks like, and right around, and correct me if I'm wrong, around 2000 is when your your business really took your business side of it really took off. That's right. So I didn't actually uh, go back to school to study. So I studied fine arts the first time around, which was a pretty broad education in all kinds of uh, things. But what really appealed to me when I was studying fine arts was the film studies that we did. So that was when I first really got interested in film 
as an art form, storytelling in general. And I think over the years, that sort of all came together from my acting career. I produced an independent feature film called Woundings uh, back in 1997. And then I sort of segued into public relations, which essentially was storytelling. Um, But I went from being in front of the camera to behind the camera and then really found my niche uh, when I left the film business, helping other people tell their stories. And that was really how the business career got into transition. I've always enjoyed uh, listening to people. I've always enjoyed facilitating uh, storytelling in all forms. So that seemed to be a bit of a natural transition for me. And uh, I lived in the US for many years and uh, when we decided to return home to Australia. It was a little bit of a clean slate for me. So I went back into PR when I came to Australia and it was a bit of a a shock to the system. I'd been away for a long time, so it took a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things. But um, I was very fortunate to uh, work for a small PR agency that was uh, very engaged, had some great clients. So I started to build my relationships with the Australian media and really, you know, got back into, you know, the world of work here in Australia. And over time, what had been traditional social... uh, uh, Traditional media became social media, and that was the big transition, obviously, that happened when Facebook came onto the landscape, Twitter, etc. So as I was looking at the way things were changing so rapidly, I decided that the future was around digital communication. Uh, certainly social media was grabbing a lot of the PR space that had traditionally gone to magazines and newspapers. So I started a bit of a, a, a career pivot uh, into a more technical role. So I went from traditional public relations into social media. I then went into digital agency and started to work uh, with a lot of B to C companies that were doing really exciting websites, uh, experience design. And then I recognized that the cloud, uh, primarily at that stage, my knowledge was around AWS cloud, um, was really changing the whole landscape. So I was very lucky to get a job at Amazon Web Services. And that was a four-year deep dive, uh, really a bit like a, a university degree, learning about cloud computing and really digital transformation. So I've now been working in that space uh, for about six years. And I'm now, as you mentioned earlier, the vice president of marketing and communications for a global technology engineering company. And it is a really exciting space to be in, but still at the heart of it, people need stories. So now I'm just telling stories about how technology is changing people's lives. So I could listen to that because I'm in social marketing. We, we looked at each other's LinkedIn's and, and um, that's my business too, but but social media and marketing for air conditioning, parts and tools and supplies. When does does people? And again, I'm not. We're going to talk to Tombstone. Everybody, just be careful. Do people look at you today and say, "God, you you look familiar," and you're like, "Oh gosh, you know, don't stop it, stop it." Like, do they look at you and know that you were Louisa? Or, um, or do they recognize you for other roles? Because you've got an insane background. You were in the movie Deadcom, Going Overboard, Sinatra, of course, Tombstone, Deep Red. We talked about this, my wife and I's love of the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. We could do a whole 
podcast about what Briscoe County Jr. Uh, Web of Deception, The Setup, and Danger Zone, and the movie Fix. So you've got a huge background. Does anybody recognize you from any of those movies at all and say you were that you were that you were that girl or that lady? Um. From time to time, yes, and I think it's primarily from Tombstone. And Tombstone, as we know, 30 years on, is still such a hugely popular film. It's on TV a lot, and I think mm. people see it and they make the connection. And I'm delighted that people can still see that that <laughs> that young actress um, in the mature woman I am, obviously, today. Um, I think uh, once people sort of get twigged, then they start to look. And obviously, the internet is a place uh, where there is lots of information. Um, but when I came back to Australia, I really, um, you know, looked to the future. So I haven't really um, even taken a breath to sort of, you know, stop and contemplate. So coming back to Tombstone for the 30th anniversary has been a really wonderful opportunity to take a moment and really think about, you know, where I came from and to connect with uh, some of my fellow castmates and the fans. And really that's the thing that I I, I find so heartening that the people who love the movie um, love the characters. And certainly when I was at uh, the 30th anniversary, there were many people who knew the Louisa character and not just the character from the movie, but there were people also Western history aficionados who knew of her life as well. And that was really very touching and, and very humbling to know that, you know, I got to play such you know, as a, a significant, uh, as they say, you know, a small but pivotal role, but obviously somebody that was, you know, a key part of that whole journey for the Earp family. Well, if you're wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to Lisa Collins. She played Louisa Earp uh, in the movie Tombstone. If you're looking at a screen or watching the podcast on, on a digital device and you see the photo of her, uh, we want to give credit to uh, Joseph Poro. Is that right, Joseph Poro? Correct. And he is a photographer um, of that shot. Uh, he gets full credit for that. Beautiful photo. Um, when you look up uh, Lisa Collins, that photo actually comes up quite a bit uh, on search engines. So, you know, if that was an SEO, you'd probably be hitting it out of the park. Um, <laughs> but, and, um, can I just add, add also that please. Joseph was the the costume designer and he did just such a brilliant job for certainly my character and her character arc uh, arriving in tombstone with her family as a young bride and she was naive and full of hope and wearing these pretty pale colors and then obviously over the course of the movie as things got darker Mm -hmm. so her wardrobe did and, and at the end of her story in tombstone she leaves as a widow in that very heavy, somber, widow's weeds, as they called it. And the beautiful detail uh, that Joseph, not just for my costumes, all the costumes. So much credit to Joseph. He certainly helped me bring my character to life, uh, made uh, an incredible impact on me and how I, you know, shaped my performance and also took that beautiful photo. So let's talk a little bit about the film because I'm, I'm really interested in how you end up becoming Louisa. There was an audition, I'm sure. I'm sure that you had your Screen Actor Guild card, your SAG card. You had a a publicist and an agent. And how did did you get the role? Was it a traditional audition? Or did somebody look at you and say, oh my God, she's perfect, exactly what we want? How did that come about? 
It's a very good question and and quite uh, an unusual story by Hollywood standards. So at that point, I had been in Hollywood a few years. I was going to my acting classes. I was going on auditions. I'd got a few parts, which was fantastic. I was coming off the back of Sinatra, which was quite a high-profile uh, miniseries at the time, uh, another period piece, a 1940s period piece. So I was really in the circuit. But at that time, um, I was married to Billy Zane and his dear sister, Lisa Zane, who's a dear friend of mine and a very talented actress, was dating the screenwriter Kevin Jarre. And any Tombstone fans out there will know that Kevin wrote the original screenplay for Tombstone. Uh, Kevin was in the process of uh, researching and developing the screenplay when I first met him. He had come off the back of a successful screenwriting um, project called Glory, which was another really wonderful historical drama. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was a true historian. He was absolutely fascinated by American history, by Hollywood history, and he really saw the story of the Earp brothers as a a really pivotal piece of American history slash American mythology. So originally, Kevin had written the screenplay with Lisa Zane at the heart of it, and she was uh, originally cast as Josephine, uh, the uh, character who then becomes White's love interest. So it was very interesting to be part of that whole process behind the scenes, talking with Kevin, his real passion for detail, his real passion for putting the story together in obviously a dramatic sense, but to really bring the nuance around the family story, the rivalry, uh, that true uh, that true West um, feeling and that tension between you know what we often see as the violence and the and and the conflict but also that underlying family story that ran through it so we uh would talk about it a lot um and it was interesting he did look into uh the history of the family morgan was known as the handsome earth brother he met louisa um, she was actually quite an extraordinary young woman. She was very well educated. She was quite adventurous. She and her sister left home very young. They became Harvey Girl waitresses, if anyone's ever seen the Judy Garland movie, The Harvey Girls. Uh, so they were quite extraordinary for their time. And so when Louisa met Morgan, I think there was a real, I mean, obviously there was a spark from everything I've read and heard. They were truly in love, but they were, they both had an adventurous spirit. Um, So she was known to be um, quite uh, well-educated, quite attractive. She was a bit of a fashion plate, but underneath she had this quite steely spirit and was willing to give up her very comfortable life. Uh, They lived in Montana, they lived in Dodge City, uh, and so when they set out to go to Tombstone, um, there was a bit of a pioneer spirit. So I had been talking with Kevin about the wives in general. So obviously there was Maddie, who uh, was married to Wyatt, and Ellie, um, who was married um, to uh, Sam Elliott. Um, But the three of them became this tight little unit. So as we talked through all this, um, Kevin said to me, you know, would you like to play Louisa? And of course, I was absolutely thrilled and delighted. There was still a process, of course. You don't just get handed um, (laughs) a role in Hollywood, but I met... Uh, the producers, I obviously went to meetings, um, you know, and talked about, you know, how I would approach the role. And, and I was also very fortunate to know Dana Wheeler Nicholson, 
um, who was a good friend of mine before the movie. And so when she was cast as Maddie, uh, there was already a really strong connection between the two of us. And then, of course, when Paula came on board, and there's a scene when we first arrive at the train station and right. we turn and we see our reflection in the mirror, and she says, oh, we could be sisters. And I still actually get quite uh, a bit of a tear in my eye when I, I, I remember that because it really did feel that way. So it was a really organic uh, process um, that brought us all to that place. But I do feel certainly from the family, the Earp family perspective, that the casting was really great and that we really did all gel. And, um, you know, dear Bill Paxton, who uh, played Morgan and, and my on-screen husband, um, was, was you know, a, a truly lovely man. And, and so, of course, we, we developed that relationship on screen. But when you were going through the process and you were chosen did was he looking at you or was or was casting looking at you for a different role or did you walk in the door through and it's the reason i say that is, is because business is about relationships like you're you're in a business where it's it's you're you're working for new clients but you eventually develop a relationship you had a relationship before the movie tombstone but were you automatically thought of as louisa or were you possibly being looked at at other roles? No, I think Kevin always really saw me as Louisa. And interestingly, um, when I was in Tombstone recently and um, I started, I mean, what's been so fascinating is to see all the wonderful information and history. And, and you mentioned the Tombstone epitaph. And there's now a book, The Making of Tombstone. John Farkas, whom I met at the event, very kindly gave me a copy of that. Um, now we have a lot of information sort of retrospectively piece it all together. Um, but somebody said to me, oh, you actually, look a little bit like um, Louisa Houston Earp. And so when I looked online, um, there is a, a, you know, a slight resemblance, but I think Kevin uh, saw my own uh, adventure coming from Australia as a young bride, uh, being you know, a bit of a, <laughs> a modern pioneer. So I think he always really saw me in that role. Um, and so I had relationships, you know, obviously with people in the film business, I had, a, a, you know, a track record at that point. Um, I had a CV, I had a good agent. So obviously there were discussions that went on, but it was always Louisa and Kevin really, and I will always be eternally grateful to him for that, always saw me in that role as that young bride. Um, and certainly, you know, as they say, the rest is history. So let's go back to that first scene. Do we really see you for the first time at the train depot? Was that shot multiple times to get it right? Or was it pretty? Because I know that the editing, certain things, a train coming, and you know, it's edited in and, and stuff like that. I get the editing part. And I think our listeners get the editing part. But was it shot multiple times? Was it easy to do? Where was it shot? So it was shot at the classic train station, which we've seen in so many classic westerns, and that in itself was really special. And, and I have to say, you know, shooting at um, Mescal Studios and having that sense of history was certainly um, really helpful in, you know, getting into character and really feeling that we were you know, there. And of course, as anyone who's ever been to Tombstone and Surrounds knows, it still very much feels as it did 
you know, a hundred and however many years ago it was right. now. So that in itself created an atmosphere that was very authentic. But we had already spent time, you know, going out together, being a family together. So we had already developed a little bit of a bond. But really that scene went very naturally, quite quickly. They always do a couple of takes, you know, the safety take and make sure that you've got a couple of angles. But it was really quite natural. And I think, you know, when I look look at it now, that does come across. There was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of hopefulness. Um, there was, you know, certainly a sense that we're all in this together. But there was also, certainly for Louisa's character, she did not know her sister-in-laws very well. So it was that, certainly Louisa as, as the, 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 the newlywed bride, wanting to make a good impression. Uh, she tried, you know, probably a little bit too hard. Um, but certainly there was a bond with all of us from the beginning. But that went really quite quickly and in fact the lovely photograph that you are showing uh your listeners was taken that day on on the uh station uh platform there so i I, every time i see that photo it does take me right back to that day how much screen time was cut from you were you were you throughout the movie in different scenes because we are going to talk about when morgan erpa shot because in in our pre-interview I, I think that whole thing needs to be discussed. But after the train depot, you stand in front of the mirror. You, you know, Wyatt, you're there. Just stare, you know, just, you know, Wyatt, you did this whole thing. Were, were you continually showing up through the movie? Because there was also a scene where you were in that room together and, you know, and Josephine shows up, um, you know, in that home. Um, were were there were you cut a lot? Were you on the cutting room floor? Um, well, it's it's interesting. Yes, long story short, there was a lot more family backstory in Kevin Jean's original oh. script, and there's been a lot of discussion around the original script. It was 140 plus pages. It was much more of a sweeping epic. There was a lot more family story in that, and and Kevin had deliberately created that to really balance, you know, the the violence with the backstory, because of course, you know, while the uh, brothers went on to become legends they were men they were family men they were human beings so kevin in his original screenplay had certainly communicated that so there were quite a few scenes in the early part of the movie that were actually never shot um and there were other scenes that were cut short and that little house that you reference we spent a lot of time as the uh, uh uh, wives in that little house and um i was actually reading an article um about the night uh the virgil was shot and that they were in fact in that house um you know sitting there you know doing needlework and playing cards etc so there was a lot of authenticity in how kevin had put the script together and also a very authentic feel for us as as the family as the wives, you know, in that little house. But uh, Michael Bean at the recent symposium actually talked about the fact that people, you know, some of us, some of our scenes did end up on the cutting room floor, but there were a lot of scenes that were just never shot. Uh, So I know that there's been, um, you know, some talk about, you know, where is the original script and, you know, what, what would it have been like, you know, the classic what if, what if. But ultimately there was a decision made uh, when the new director came on board to, 
pivot the direction much more towards an action movie, towards your traditional Western. And, you know, in, as part of that process, there were scenes cut and many of the family scenes, unfortunately, uh, were the ones that uh, got the red pen, unfortunately. Were you direct, were you... I'm trying to think of the words. Were you disappointed when there was a director change because it changed the direction of the film? Or were you okay with it as an actress? Look, professionally, I was okay with it. And, and um, you know, to be honest, you know, my job as an actress is to turn up, do my job, listen to the director and interpret the character through... The direction that's you know that's what an actor does but you know personally i was very disappointed you know i was friends with kevin i knew his vision i'd been part of you know that process early on so i think many of us you know we had to, you know spent a lot of time talking with kevin talking about our characters talking about his vision so yes there was personally you know quite a sense of loss but you know as they say the show must go on and so you do what you need to do and i have to say the rest of the cast rallied around certainly you know and i think it's quite well known um you know bell and kurt certainly you know refocused uh you know the production in many ways and the cast so we really wanted to make the movie and we adapted, uh, you know, and I think the end product was still a fantastic movie. It was a different movie, but still a wonderful movie. Let's talk about, because we have about 20, 20 minutes left or so, 25 minutes. Let's talk about when Morgan Earp was shot in the back. And as an actress... I envisioned you, because I watched it in depth last night, just your scene. Because you as an actress gave an insane performance. Because it looks like you, not only was it a difficult scene because of your relationship with Bill Paxton, but there was so much, like, emotion. I'm looking for the words, like, you threw yourself into it there's so like you're you, you almost like you were running a marathon because you're you're straining that you like i could feel your pain that was just oh it was it was heartbreaking go through that point am i wrong to say that 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 scene was really took a, like it looks like at the end you were just like exhausted like i i need i need a nap and then I would <laughs> yeah, assume you've was. shot it multiple times because of multiple angles of camera work, um, unless it was a one shot with multiple cameras. Can you go no, through that? No. Can you go through that scene? Absolutely. Look, you're absolutely right. It was the most intense scene I have ever done, and um, even though one you know prepares and, and as as an actor, you know you sort of you think about how your own experience, you know, may be able to inform your performance. Uh, you have relationships uh, with your fellow actors. And, of course, the arc of our story had already, for the most part, played out somewhat chronologically. So we'd had time to be together as a family. I'd spent time, you know, with Bill. We had developed a relationship. So there was, there was true emotion there to begin with and then when you layer on then the context of the scene which really was the true 
heartbreak and end of this young woman's dreams. Um, you know, even as I think about it now, I get quite emotional. And, you know, I was so caught up in the tension, I guess, of that night. It was the way the scene played out. It felt very real. So it wasn't that difficult to have to get into the mindset. And um, I had, you know, done a lot of training up to that point, you know, as many actors do, scene work, emotion work, how do you connect, you know, with the truth of a scene? So really by the time the camera rolled, I was pretty emotionally raw. And when I mm. saw, you know, Bill literally dying on the table or Morgan, you know, as the case was in that context, it was really, truly heart wrenching. And, um, I, that, that, that was, you know, that was, that was pure, you know, emotion and it was truly taxing. And yes, there were multiple ta takes and, you know, the old acting adage is, you know, save it for the close up. But I just don't think that that would have been possible in the context of that scene. So, um, I had a really good support network, around me um i stayed in character it was a very long night as you can imagine um and we really didn't know you know how the final scene would be cut together um it was interesting i met a, a, an emergency room doctor uh, at the 30th cast reunion and he said the scream he said oh your scream no, i've heard people scream like that when they've lost loved ones in violent situations and that scream you know sounded authentic and in that moment you know louisa was losing the love of her life and you know it was really the end of her life as she knew it so at in some way she was also dying on that table with with morgan so now i'm going to ask you questions since you, you mentioned that there were multiple takes I'm curious, and I hope the listener is too. When a film is shot like that, and then they say, cut, and we're going to redo it again, do they bring in, like, all new wardrobe, all new makeup, all new pool table? Do they whitewash the entire set? Like, how does it... Because it's not like a room, like you're in a room talking to somebody, and they go, cut, we're going to redo it again, and then everybody gets back into character, and they redo it again. You had, it was a mess, like with the blood everywhere. How did they go through yeah. that process? Yeah, they, they, they do. And um, it's interesting, um, obviously, when you've got a, a significant before and after dif difference, continuity is really important to make sure that when you reset, you're resetting back to that original, you know, state of, of being. So, yes, they do. Uh, now, often what they'll do is they'll, they'll shoot, the wide shot first so they get that and all all the context and then as they generally speaking you're moving closer and closer and closer so by the time you get to the close-up there's less to reset which is also really challenging for actors because you've already gone through this whole process um and so you know keeping the emotion to the same level keeping the performance to the same level is challenging um and certainly when there's you know high emotion it, it's physically draining. Uh, one thing that I discovered during the making of Tombstone was the blood that they use 
um, which is a very sticky substance. But the wardrobe people uh, were actually using baby wipes, of all things, to get the blood off the costumes and obviously off our faces and, and everything else. So um, they're really good at, at doing that. And that's, you know, much credit to you know, the, the whole art direction team. They did a fantastic job, not just in the authenticity of, of every every prop, every room, um, but being able to go in there very quickly and reset, um, making sure that, the, that things are just as they were. So when the editors are editing, they can make those clean cuts. And, you know, there's always a classic, you know, scene in, in some movie where, you know, the, the continuity is off and, in fact, <laughs> going overboard, it became a bit of a meme that the character actually turns up in a different coloured shirt in the same scene because, obviously, it was shot out of sequence. So much credit belongs to the whole set team, the art directors, the set dresses, the props people for being able to go in there and very quickly reset without taking too much time, without ruining, you know, the feel and that emotional uh, reality, uh, which is so important to the actors. We're watching you, and if you're wondering who we're talking to, I'm, I'm blown away at this. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away that she said yes to a guy in Arizona to do a, a podcast and interview, but uh, thank you. We're talking to Lisa Collins, who played Louisa Earp in the movie Tombstone and in Briscoe County. She was in Briscoe County, Jr. Um, I don't know why I mentioned that, but I love that show. Um, when you were When you were getting ready for the intense part of the scene, actresses and actors will say, it's, I have to think about really something really sad in my life so that I have the ability to cry. And, and some actresses and actors can do it just, okay, cry, and boom, the tears fall. Do you have that process? What was your process to get into that gut-wrenching um, thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And at that point, you know, in my life, I really hadn't had, you know, my parents were still alive. You know, I hadn't really had any truly tragic event in my life you know and I'm very grateful for that um so it was really thinking and 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 connecting with the story that love story between Morgan and Louisa and that and and again now you know I, I'm not a person that cries a lot or easily and it was I was never one of those actors that could just you know turn on the waterworks I always had to you know really kind of get myself into that mindset but Certainly, in the context of that scene, it was the love story between those two people and the the broken dreams, um, you know that that tragedy. Uh, and even now, as I said, you know, as I think about it, you know, the, the tears start to well. So I was very grateful to again have that connection with with Bill Paxton, uh, to have that connection with with. Paula and Dana uh, thinking about, you know, their family being ripped apart. Um, it was really quite, uh, I won't say easy, but, you know, to connect with that pain, uh, which was, you know, very real for me at that point, was the process that, that, that got me to that point. I know that when, when scenes are shot and a movie is working its way through, like it's not... I used to think it was shot in sequence, but then you realize the logistics of shooting it in sequence would be mind-numbing. When the movie was made, did you get any interaction time with Kurt or Sam Elliott 
or Val Kilmer, did you get any interaction with them, or were, or were they? Because I know in the the end scene with with Morgan, Kurt was there, but I mean after that, were they off on their own doing their own part of the movie, or did you get to interact with them off off screen? Yeah, we absolutely did, and I have to say, um, obviously, it was a huge cast. Um, you know, Val and Kurt were in you know, so much of the movie, but they were very generous with their time. So we did, you know, spend family time, um, particularly in the beginning. Uh, you know, bonding, going out, you know, talking about, um, you know, the, the arc of the family story. Uh, Dana Willa Nicholson actually mentioned at the recent symposium that you know the the it was one of the few films she's ever worked on where we would go to the set on our days off to you know see what was going on to watch the other actors because there was you know some incredible performances right throughout the movie uh not just you know the 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 main feature players but you know also some of the smaller characters really had amazing performances as well so that was quite unique uh and kurt was very generous with his time and often at the end of a day's shoot you know we would come together and we would talk and you know have a beer and um you know so he was very generous with his time obviously you know very very busy um but there was true camaraderie and i think that certainly helped in our performances to to feel that real connection Uh, and to know you know people both in their character and in their real life and obviously characters are built from you know the pieces of our own experience so you can't really separate one from the other. Go through, if you could, the emotion or what you felt or what happened. I would imagine you were invited to the screen premiere and there, unlike the other, because you were in other movies too, but the other movies did not push you as an actress like this one did. So go through the what might have happened or didn't happen or whatever happened when you saw the movie, you know, Tombstone in a grand scale, the movie's grand premiere, were you like, oh my God, that's me and look at all the people that I'm, you know, like look at all the people that are in it and look at, look at how it, like I never envisioned it was going to turn out that great. Like that's me. Did you do that? Because if I would, I'd have been like, I'd have stood up and said, that's me. That's me. You know, (laughs) Um, you know, I always, I've always found it quite challenging to see myself on screen. And I know, um, quite a few actors that that feel the same way and some very, you know, high profile actors too. Um, So I think I, it was actually very private for me. I almost went into sort of a a little bubble, but what was quite extraordinary was seeing the film play out in that true epic Western genre that I had grown up watching that so many of us who loved Western movies, you know, the epic scale of it the look of it, the beautiful landscapes, the incredible cinematography, that I got caught up really in that probably as much as any of of the other audience members watching it. I I sort of, you know, it was almost an out-of-body experience because it really was such, um, you know, an incredible 
transformation over you know such a long period of time where you read a script you know words on page and then you know over a, 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 a quite a long period of time you know you end up seeing the finished product uh so to be honest the whole thing was a bit of a blurb but i really like you know probably everybody who was in in the, the, the cinema that night got caught up in what was you know a really amazing epic western uh and you know i was and i always will be you know sad when i i, I see that scene where, where morgan dies because that obviously you know was something that i had a very strong emotional um reaction to when i made it and i still do to this day so um it's it was probably a bit of a blur somewhat like um you know one's wedding day you know you sort of look back at the pictures you go oh yeah i was there um but it was just such a an incredible um you know realization of all that time and effort and and you know the the combined work of the cast and really being then able to see the work of the other actors up on screen so as much as we may have been uh welcome to go to the set and watch that which again was quite unusual and it was quite a privilege to be there um you never quite know what the other actors are doing unless you know you see it all come together in the movie so that was quite exciting as well did you after the movie's over with or maybe even during the movie making process or beforehand when you were awarded the script and you were awarded the role uh not awarded the script awarded the role did you follow up on Luisa's life like after Morgan and after she got to California, did you follow up on her life to see what became of her? I did, and there, it was much harder, you know, to find information in those days, you know, pre-internet. Um, so I did a little bit of research, and you know, it was very sad. She she died. You know, I think she was only thirty-nine when she died. Um, it's actually subsequently um, with the internet that I've done a lot more research, and I found some um, excellent information uh and you know obviously the the, the erps connection to southern california was quite strong but louisa really distanced herself from the Earp family after morgan died although she did end up in southern california she did not really stay connected to the family although she was you know quite well loved by the family and her sister-in-law ali you know had been quoted as saying that you know she was a lovely woman she was very kind um so i think she truly was heartbroken and although she remarried um and she uh was married when she died she died of kidney disease um but you know of course people like to romanticize uh history um but you know there are quite a few people that suggested that you know she really never recovered from Morgan's death that she to some degree died of a broken heart and you know in uh recent years uh medical science has even acknowledged that you know while we talk about broken heart as an emotional thing that often um there is actually you know a a steep decline in people's well-being and health when they suffer a great emotional tragedy so it was really sad you know i when i first played louisa i kept her future sort of out of my mind i i didn't want to you know say oh well there was a happily ever after for louisa or conversely say oh well this was the end for her and she you know ended up going away and dying of a broken heart so when i played the character i deliberately i looked at her past i didn't look at what happened to her afterwards and it was only after i finished the movie that i looked into that and i i guess intrinsically 
probably knew that she didn't have a happy ending, but it was quite sad to to you know confirm that she died so young and she never really uh, got over Morgan's death. Well, I think that I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the romanticist side because I've researched her a little bit that she lived in Long Beach, California, that she married a gentleman named Gustav Peters, I believe Gustav Peters. Yep. And she did. She and I went and visited her and found her gravesite. Oh wow! And she's buried in Los Angeles, in in the east side of Los Angeles. Um, very easy to get to. Beautiful cemetery. Um, and I've been there whenever I'm in LA. I swing by and say hello. Um, but I'm on. I'm one of those that says I think she never fully recovered from. Morgan's death and I think that he was the love of her life and she it might have been kidney disease but I do believe that she died a broken heart yeah yeah um and again it it makes me um quite sad because I do feel obviously I played played her and I played her a long time ago but having gone back to the town of Tombstone which was quite an extraordinary experience um seeing how beautifully um preserved or recreated the town is it really took me right back um to that you know time and obviously i was you know a young woman she was a young woman um i have the benefit of having you know lived much longer than uh, louisa did um but i really i i, I did feel um, a nostalgia and, and a sadness for, you know, dreams, you know, cut short, um, you know, romance um, thwarted. And, you know, thinking about all of the women, not just obviously the wives, but the women of the West who were quite extraordinary pioneers who, you know, braved really extreme conditions, uh, set up homes, you know, raised families, nursed you know, sick people, um, you know, some of them married and became widows, you know, some never married. Um, but, you know, the, the, the sheer force of will that these women must have had. Uh, and, you know, I think about, you know, Louisa and the other Earp wives, you know, as, as really quite extraordinary. And, and, you know, to top it all off, they were laced up in corsets, trussed up in bustles. Um, you know, they had physical challenges, to, you know, beyond just the environment, but, you know, what they had to wear. Um, so I really, you know, I, I'm really, I really admire you know, the the tradition of those women who, you know, really were an intrinsic part of, of you know, the West and often, you know, maybe not as well known in their stories. Um, and I see, you know, Louisa as one of those women who, um, you know, took a big risk, uh, went on an adventure, did it for love. And I'm glad that history has remembered her uh, as, you know, part of obviously a story that has become very well known and very well loved did you at all in your travel here for the 30th anniversary of the movie get a chance to go back to the filming location of mezcal unfortunately i didn't and that was 
really that was that was actually something that I was really hoping to do and uh, schedule was tight I'd flown in from Australia uh, so unfortunately no I didn't but I really do want to go back to the town of Tombstone it was extraordinary to see the transformation I'd been there once uh, 30 years ago when I was doing the movie and to see the thriving exciting town it's become mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to going back spending some time uh, without uh, commitments other than going around and, and right. seeing all the wonderful things so going back to Mescal I didn't get a chance to go out to Boot Hill I really only had you know a, an hour or so to you know go through the wonderful uh, stores in the town so um, one of my trips back to Los Angeles my, my husband uh, and I uh, go back to Los Angeles um, about once a year. He has family there. So I do definitely want to go back to Tombstone and definitely take a trip back to uh, the studio so I can really, um, you know, revisit some of those wonderful memories. After you, after the movie was done and all things were considered, you know, um, not considered meaning like like the enormity of the film, because I'm sure it took you, it took a long time to get it done. And by the time it gets to screening and then your life moves on, were you at all, as it happens sometimes in Hollywood, pigeonholed into a role? Or was Hollywood very open to the fact that, yes, you played Lisa and we're moving on? You know, I, 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 it wasn't a big enough role. And I don't mean that in any kind of, you know, putting myself down sense, but it wasn't a big <clears throat> enough role to really have that kind of lasting impact but I um, just for my own personal reasons uh, never felt comfortable with on-screen nudity so that very much limited my options as an actor at that time Um, and you know full power to you know people who who you know feel comfortable doing that but it was never something that I really you know could could do uh so that was quite limiting um I don't I think actually times have changed there seems to be uh, a little less nudity now in, in movies but certainly in the 90s um it was very much um you know actresses were expected uh to get naked on screen and and that um was something I never just so that I had made that clear to my agents. I know they weren't thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving forward, I actually seemed to get pigeonholed into in the sort of scientist role. Um, and I did a TV movie called The Deep Red um, straight after Tombstone with Joanna Papula and Michael Bean, which was really just you know, a happy coincidence that we all got to work together after that. Uh, and I played, um, you know, a, a, a very buttoned-up character um, who, um, you know, got caught up in this whole sci-fi um, adventure. But, you know, certainly, you know, I had a suit on with a rather long skirt and my hair up in a bun. And then uh, when I played um, Dr. Kim Woods in Danger Zone, I played, you know, a scientist from the World Health Organization. And again, very buttoned up, you know, walking around, you know, in uh, my um, safari outfit, um, you know, looking for contamination in water. So that was, I was actually very lucky to, to get to play a couple of roles where I, you know, got to play a character that didn't have to take her clothes off. Um, but I actually pivoted uh, late in my film career into producing and, and got behind the camera and, and as I said earlier I produced a, an independent feature film called Woundings 
Um, and that was really when I transitioned out of acting. Um, there just weren't a lot of roles that I felt, you know, really comfortable playing. So I figured that, you know, if I was going to stay in the film business, go on the other side of the camera. Um, and then over time, um, I just realized that the film business, you know, I'd been fantastic fun and I'd really enjoyed it and had such a, a wonderful time when I was in my 20s. Um, but as I discovered um, my passion for storytelling and being behind the scenes, it was sort of a, just a natural transition away. So I guess I wasn't really in a position to get pigeonholed. Um, and I really, um, you know, by the time I had... Uh, left the film business, um, you know, I think the industry had moved on a little bit and certainly um, I had, uh, you know, moved on in my career too. So we have just a couple of minutes with you. Do you have a story 30 years later, a funny story about the movie, Tombstone, of course, we're talking, that you've kind of kept or have shared amongst friends but not really that would that's that's funny about the movie like did you have a funny scene or you know did somebody play a joke on you or were did you play a joke on them you know during the movie um i actually was reminded at the 30th anniversary when we did our panel symposium of a wonderful ongoing uh joke in the form of a song that paula malcolmson who has a wonderful voice as does Dana Willa Nicholson. I, on the other hand, sound like a croaking frog. But <laughs> Paula had made up wonderful lyrics um, to the tune of I Fall to Pieces. And Dana and I were both racking our brains trying to remember uh, the words. And so Dana actually sang a snippet at it, of it at the symposium. But we used to sit around uh, and people played guitars and they sang. And there was a real spirit of of camaraderie, uh, and of course, when you're on a film set for many months, uh, you know it can get people can get a little stir crazy. But um, people would sit around the pool at the hotel where everyone was staying and sing and play guitar. And Dana sang the snippet, and the final um, line of the song. And if anyone knows, I fall to pieces, yada yada yada. And the, the closing line was, and my corset was tighter than Lisa's. Mm -hmm. And so that became a running joke through the movie. And Paula would launch into song and she would make the words up as on the spot. She was absolutely brilliant. So, Paula, if you're listening, we really missed you at the 30th cast reunion. And Dana and I would love to get together and piece back the pieces of the words to the song that you made up, which was such a wonderful, funny, and uh, running running theme throughout the making of Tombstone. Well, you've heard here, this is Lisa Collins. She played Louisa Earp in the movie Tombstone. Um, do you have, are you involved in charities at all? Or do you have anything going on that you want to promote? Um. Not really. I mean, look, I do, I work, um, I volunteer for um, a hospital here in Sydney. Um, it's a very local little community hospital uh, that works uh, in the aged care sector. Um, I also am very um, closely aligned uh, with uh, working to save the koala forests here in Australia. Um, your listeners may have heard a couple of years ago we had devastating bushfires here in Australia. Um, we lost a lot of the native habitat. Um, the koalas only eat a 
very specific type of eucalypt leaf. So I'm working uh, with some local groups to replant some of the eucalypt forests to make sure that we don't lose our one of our national icons, the koala. Uh, so um, they are my, my two uh, passion projects, uh, making sure that our, our older uh, family, friends and community members are looked after with dignity in their old age uh, and that we preserve our environment for uh, future generations and certainly um, that we uh, take care of our environment. It's a very precious, precious gift that we have. Okay, so two great organizations. If... If our listeners want to donate or get involved, no matter where they're listening, uh, is there a website for the koala where they can get involved and maybe send a donation? Absolutely. The World Wildlife Fund, which is a global organization uh, here in Australia, do a wonderful job. They're very transparent. Uh, Just about all the money that they gather goes to great causes. So if you are interested, uh, World Wildlife Fund Australia, uh, and you can see all the great work that they're doing to save not just uh, the koala habitat, but habitat right across Australia and the world to make sure that uh, children, grandchildren and future generations can enjoy the wonderful uh, natural beauty that we have here in Australia and all around the world. Well, you said it. She's got a lot going on, and I, I can't thank her enough. Um, I really I really can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. Um, maybe, I'm not going to say yes, but I'm hoping you will. Maybe we can come back and do one about Briscoe County. Oh, I'd be delighted, oh. Mike. It's been a real pleasure. Yay. Um, super excited about that. Uh, of course, I want to thank my friends at Tombstone Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, one of Arizona's longest-running newspapers. Uh, subscribe, get the paper delivered to your door. Of course, my second family at the Wild West History Association. If you want to find them on the social media, my good friend Dave Guyton uh, runs that over on uh, Instagram. They're also on Facebook, and you can find uh, the WWHA on YouTube. And you can find this, this podcast on Spotify as well. Um, please leave a, a rating and a review It really does help distribution. And hit that follow button or the like button or wherever it shows up, uh, including iHeartRadio. I'm over there as well. I can't thank Lisa enough for coming on and talking about the world of Tombstone. I I would assume you still keep your SAG card and you get a little little coin every year, a little something, something. (laughs) Um, I do. I get residuals from Look at you. They come in regularly, and I'm always very grateful for that. And I'm really grateful to the Screen Actors Guild. They do a fantastic job of looking after their members and making sure that intellectual property uh, is protected. So a big shout out to the Screen Actors Guild for all the work they do. Uh, and uh, again, it's just been a real pleasure to speak with you, Mike. And uh, thank you so much for thinking of me and uh, for your time today. Yeah. So listen, you heard it. She she needs vacation money so keep watching that movie so that (laughs) that that money can keep coming in and again uh she did mention it and i want to mention it again we have just like a minute left uh joseph uh poro uh is the one that gets the credit for the photo um that we're using on this podcast i don't know him but if lisa says he's a great person then i'm gonna believe it so thank you joseph poro for the photo and the wardrobe um and his input into the movie Tombstone because you can see on that photo how beautiful it is. Of course, everybody, please, please, please be good humans. Uh, Be safe wherever you are. And until next time, we'll see you soon.